afternoon, America, and welcome to the Dean's List. This is it, part five of our deep dive into the bill that's being proposed by Matt Gates. It is the Protect Prayer in Schools Act of 2023. The subscript, to provide for a cause of action to remedy prohibitions on personal prayer in schools. So that's why we have been in defense of this bill. That's why we wanted to present some historical evidence to support it, really because of, of, of its purpose. It is to remedy prohibitions on personal prayer in schools. And we we believe that if prayer was not prohibited, then we would not be in the state that we're in. That's not to say that we want to shove Christianity down the throats of everybody. That That's not the point here. That's not the point to say we're going to legislate Christianity and everybody has to be a Christian. No, it's that's 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 not what the founders believed. Well, I guess I take that back to to some degree because they did say in their state constitutions that if you uh, you know unless you were a Protestant, you were not serving office. However, that that thought process expanded. Religious liberty expanded. And ultimately, the point is that the country was founded on, on biblical values of morality. And those values of morality held true. They were taught in public education well up until, well, really until the Bible and prayer was kicked out in 1962-63. Ultimately, the, the values that the Declaration of Independence upholds, those values, the, the values that, that state we believe in a creator and we believe that that creator gives us unalienable rights. Those rights don't come from the government. They come from God Almighty. And that the laws were established by him. The declaration says it refers to the laws of nature and nature's God. These are, are values that were placed in the foundation of our country. And those values have, have been taught for decades and decades, yea, centuries. Until, you know, the late 1800s, really early 1900s when there was this movement to get away from those values, this movement to get away from individual liberty and to become more obsessed with, with state control, less individual liberty, more state-controlled authority, more state-controlled dominance. And this whole idea of evolutionary legislation process or case precedent as it was termed really uh, a harvard law professor christopher columbus langdell and, and we said the, the irony there of a harvard law professor instituting or creating or coming up with this idea of case precedent where the the law would evolve the, the irony there of a Harvard law professor coming up with this when uh, Justice Joseph Story, who founded Harvard Law, 
uh, Justice Story said, you have to go back to, to, to the founding. You always have to go back to determine what they said and what they meant. But, you know, Langdell and others, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. specifically, really believed that the law should be expanding. And when Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. came to the Supreme Court, he he pushed that notion on the court. And really from that that high office, that high position, they began to really unravel what the, the foundation that Blackstone had laid, that law is an edict from God. I, I read this quote to you from Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. from his biographer the other day, and I'll, I'll, I'll read it again. His Holmes' theory of legal realism shook the little world of lawyers and judges who had been raised on Blackstone's theory that the law given by God himself was immutable and eternal and judges had only to discover its contents. The little world of lawyers, the alliteration there makes it, um, it just, it makes it sound so poetic. The little world of lawyers, you know, just the small little the small little corner of the legal world, it just, it was shook. When in fact, it really wasn't a little world of lawyers. This, this was the, this was the thought process. Everybody believed this. <laughs> all attorneys believed this. They all believed that the law was given by God and it was immutable and, and eternal. This biographer continues, he says, it took some years for them to come around to the view that the law was flexible, responsive to changing social and economic climates. The law is actually flexible. You know, it can bend. It can, it can sway with the wind. You know, it really just, I don't know, it just depends on the mood. It, it depends on what's happening in the social and the economic climate, really. Holmes had broken new intellectual trails demonstrating that the corpus of the law was neither an edict from God nor derived from nature, but was a constantly evolving thing, mm, just like Darwin, just uh, just like his buddy Darwin. I don't know if they were buddies or not. Was a constantly evolving thing, a response to the continually developing social and economic environment. And that was really the beginning of the end ultimately of the justice system that's when <laughs> that's when uh you know justice was just she, she just took a beating that supreme court justice oliver wendell holmes smacked lady justice and just she just took a beating the this whole idea and notion of of rearranging the law and making it flexible as opposed to immutable. At this point, justices begin to fall into two general categories, really. Those who held that laws should be should keep the meaning of those who wrote them. You know, those who, who believe that laws should be immutable. We should go back to, to the debates, go back to what the founders were thinking when they wrote and drafted the Constitution. That, that's one camp. The second camp consisted of those who hold that laws can evolve. 
those who believe that laws can have new meaning based upon the justice's discretion. Yep, the evolutionary case precedent method provided a way for activist justices to use the 14th Amendment together with an expanded interpretation of the Commerce Clause to sidestep the constitutional mean, means of changing the Constitution through the amendment process. So they, they, were, they were able to find a way to change the Constitution without going through the amendment process. And they were to do it incrementally. And that's what happened in, in, this, in this decision. 1947, Justice Hugo Black. We talked about Hugo Black yesterday. FDR appoints Senator Hugo Black to the court. Hugo Black is a KKK member. Well, he's a former member. But he was a member nonetheless. He was a racist among racists. And FDR just said, yeah, I want that guy. I'm going to put that guy on the bench. And, you know, just like FDR, who wanted to concentrate all power in government, Hugo Black was the same thing. Uh, and he creatively applied the evolutionary case precedent method together with his expanded view of the 14th Amendment to remove religion from under the states, from out from under the state's jurisdiction. And he put it succinctly under the federal government's jurisdiction. The interesting thing to note here is in a letter that Thomas Jefferson writes to Charles Hammond in 1821, Jefferson becomes prophetic. How many times am I going to say it feels like Jefferson is prophetic? I feel like he was just a prophet. Listen to what he said, 1821. The germ of dissolution of our federal government is in the federal judiciary. Oh boy, is it ever? Has that ever proven true? If we if if the quote stopped there, we would have said Jefferson is definitely prophetic. But listen, listen to what else he says. Working like gravity by night and by day, gaining a little today and a little tomorrow, and advancing its noiseless step like a thief over the field of jurisdiction until all shall be usurped from the states. He nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. The germ of dissolution of our federal government is in the federal judiciary. Working like gravity by night and day, just pulling. It, you, you can't really see gravity. You can't see it unfold, but you know it's there and you definitely feel it when you fall 10 feet from a ladder or 10 feet from anything. You don't know that gravity's there, but you feel it when it happens. Or you feel it when it's over. Actually, you, you don't really feel it while it's happening. You know, while you're falling, it might be just this happy, fun thing. But you know you're going to hit the ground. And at the, the end result of gravity is pain. And that's that's kind of what we've been experiencing here lately. Working like gravity by night and by day, gaining a little today, a little tomorrow, a little here, a little there, just, you know, little, little tiny increments. Advancing its noiseless step like a thief over the field of jurisdiction until all shall be usurped from the states. That is just, talk about poetic language. 
Jefferson was a crafter of words. And in this case, he was very prophetic. He said, look, we we have to be concerned about the judiciary. And that's why he, he wrote his letter to that Supreme Court justice and said, look, when you are when you're considering the Constitution, you have to go back to the meaning. You can't try to squeeze some meaning from the text that you think might be there. You, you can't invent to turn part of the text against another part of the text. You have to go to the original meaning. You have to go to the debates. You have to look to see what these guys were saying, because that was his worry. That was absolutely his fear. And, you know, here we are. So we come to 1947, and Hugo Black and this court of, of Democrats, they they side with religious liberty, but in the process, they say this notion of a wall of separation between church and state must be upheld at all costs. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing at that point, but they they put this idea, they put those eight little words on a pedestal and they almost made it constitution-like that the, the verbiage of those eight words is on par with the constitution. At this point it is because this 47 court turned it into that. And in the process of all of that, the 47 court, let me, let me pull up this summary here. The 47 court said the establishment of, re of religion clause of the First Amendment means at least this. Neither a state nor the federal government can set up a church. And it doesn't mean at least that. It doesn't mean that at all. And, you know, we, we've talked about this, that th this, is, this is really the assault on the First Amendment right here. So in his bill where Matt Gates says, our founding fathers would be appalled to learn the establishment clause of the First Amendment was being weaponized not to prevent the establishment of a state religion, but to suppress religion in schools across the states, contrary to the free exercise clause. They would absolutely be appalled when they said in the Northwest Ordinance, religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind Schools and the means of education shall always be encouraged. When they said that, look, we believe that because morality and religion are necessary, then in our school systems and in our means of education, it should always be encouraged. Morality and religion needs to be a part of education. And in 1947, we, we saw this wall come up, this wall that, that separated the church and the state. And, and we, we watched as the court took the authority away from the states. They just said, nah, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to us. So listen to this. I, I want to read to you some, some cases that, that have really resulted since this 47 decision. McCollum v. Board of Education. This came a year later. Listen to this. One year after deciding Everson v. Board of Education, the Supreme Court addressed the First Amendment separation of church and state once again. Justice Black, yes, your friend and mine, 
Justice Hugo Blatt from the KKK. Justice Black and the majority found that the practice of releasing students from school early to attend religious services in a public school building violated the Constitution. Nope, can't do that. You cannot release early to attend religious services in a public school. That is unconstitutional. Zeller v. Huff, also known as the Dixon School case. This lawsuit challenged the employment of nuns, religious brothers, and priests as teachers in publicly funded schools. It reached the New Mexico Supreme Court in 1951. The justices decided that having teachers who, quote, by their striking and distinctive ecclesiastical robes were clearly connected to the Catholic Church, this was inappropriate in a publicly funded school. Nope, nuns can no longer teach in a publicly funded school. Not if they're going to be in their nun garb. No, they cannot. Priests, uh-uh. Not if they're in those ecclesiastical robes. Not if they're wearing clothing that declares they are a man or a woman of the cloth. Nope, can't do it. It's unconstitutional. The Constitution forbids it. Why? Because of the wall of separation. Yeah, there's got to be a wall now between church and state. One more. You know what? I don't have time to read this next one. We will catch it on the other side of the break because it, uh, I got a feeling it, you know, I've got a list of them. You know, once we start looking at it and we start seeing the the atrocity that is that has been coming our way. All right. We will uh, look at it on the other side. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discussed the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health, naturally. Welcome back to The Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio, a leading voice in the rise of the new media. It is America's premier news network where smart people go to get their news and information. So, congratulations on being one of the smart ones. 
We are happy that you are on board. And if you have been on board, this is part five. We have, we've, you know, I'm, I didn't know that we'd get to, I didn't know it would take uh, five days, but it has. And I almost feel like it, it's necessary. I, I, I think we have to dive deep to look at historical definitions, historical context, to build really a foundation of support. Matt Gates is proposing this bill that would really defend prayer in, in public schools. And we are laying the groundwork. We we have we have clearly shown that the founding fathers wanted religion and morality in our schools. And we have now gotten to the point where we can see the beginning of that idea being unraveled, the beginning of that idea being attacked, where there are people who do not want prayer in our schools. And this whole idea of, of evolution spawned this idea of, of, of having an evolutionary legal process. And case precedent then was born. And so we have this court decision in 1947, and a precedent was set. The precedent clearly was that religion was being removed from the power of the states, the authority of the states, exactly what the Danbury Baptist Association was afraid of when Jefferson wrote them that letter and said, you know, you don't have to worry, guys, there's a wall of separation between church and state. And what they were afraid of has now come upon us. And the, the method that it's being used is exactly Jefferson's eight words, a wall of separation. Jefferson meant it that the government could not interfere with religion. But courts have now interpreted it to mean there can't be any religion at all. Religion has got to be out of the public square. It's unconstitutional. So 1947, that that case is, is decided, those ideas that the precedent has been set, uh, McCollum v. Board of Education a year later, and they just kind of added a little bit more, uh, Zeller v. Huff a couple years after that, and they just, you know, they just add a little bit more, until we get to 1963, and all of a sudden, oh, you can't have prayer. You cannot have prayer in a public school. It's unconstitutional. The Prayer was not mandated. It was a voluntary prayer. But because the Supreme Court at this point began to rewrite actual definitions. So we saw how they rewrote the definition for the word religion. We saw that unfold. They now begin to rewrite the definitions of other words. So Listen to this. In the 1962 decision, I am I am going to read from David Barton's book, Separation of Church and State. Here's what Barton says. Fifteen years after redefining Jefferson's phrase, the 1962 decision, Engel v. Vital, the court began redefining individual words within that phrase. For example, the court determined that church would no longer mean a federal denomination. 
as had been its meaning for the previous two centuries. Church always meant Episcopalian or Presbyterian or Baptist or you pick your denomination. That's what church meant. This 1962 decision, they decide, you know, I mean, we can we can rewrite definitions here. I mean, we've done it before. Let's do it again. Church would now mean a public religious activity. Therefore, separation of church and state no longer meant that the federal government, or in this case, the state, could not establish a denomination or a church, but it now meant that public religious expressions, i.e. the new church, must be kept separate from the public square, which is now the new state. This change in definition has resulted in one absurd ruling after another. Okay, did you... Are we clear on this? Are we all together here? Separation of church and state. So church no longer means church. It no longer means a denomination. Church uh, now means a, a public religious expression. So by a student praying in a school, that is now the definition of a church. Mm -hmm. And the public school is now the definition of a state. Oh, you see? You see what's happening here? I told you. I told you the left was the master at the narrative. They are the master at taking a word and changing its definition to fit the meaning that they need it to fit. And this is this is what Jefferson said in his in his letter to Justice, Supreme Court Justice William Johnson. I'm going to read this to you again. Jefferson said, on every question of construction, carry ourselves back to the time when the Constitution was adopted. Recollect the spirit manifested in the debates. And here it is. This is the crux of it. Instead of trying what meaning may be squeezed out of the text or invented against it, conformed to the probable one in which it was passed. But we have justices now who realize that they have the ability to squeeze meaning out of text. They have the ability to invent meaning against the text itself. And so that's what they've done. They've taken the phrase separation of church and state, which they have elevated to constitutional authority, and they've been able to invent new meaning new definition, where church is no longer defined as a church. It's now a religious activity. And state is, is no longer the government. It's anywhere in the public, anywhere in the public square. That public school, which is paid for by tax dollars, represents Congress, essentially. And so where Matt Gates says the founding fathers would be appalled, to learn the Establishment Clause has been weaponized against the Free Exercise Clause. This is what we're talking about. The Establishment Clause has been weaponized against the Free Exercise Clause. You, students no longer have the free exercise to worship in a public school building because the liberal justices on the Supreme Court were able to redefine words. They were able to redefine the definition of church and redefine the definition of state. So now 
Now the Constitution is flipped up upside down. It's up on his head. That happened in 1962. And then in 1963, Abington v. Shemp, uh, the Bible was ushered out of the school in much the same way. Just in that case, the court reversed more than two centuries of precedent, ordering that the Bible and its teachings no longer should be permitted in public education. The Bible was used as a textbook for, for decades, well since 1776. The Bible was used as a textbook. Uh, matter of fact, you know, people that were involved in the First Amendment drafting, listen to this. This is a clear example. Fisher Ames, who's a founding father who, who offered the final wording for the House version of the First Amendment. Fisher Ames, the second most notable founding father you've never heard of. His draft of the First Amendment was the final draft on the House side. Ames, like so many other farmers or framers, was committed to maintaining sound education in America. In his watchfulness over education, he noticed that many new children's books filled with character fables and moral lessons were being introduced into the classroom. Ames did not object to this. You know, it's all good information. But he was alarmed that an unintended consequence would be that students would have less time to spend on what what, what book you think? Yep, you guessed it, the Bible. He was concerned that if we introduced more textbooks, they would have less time to spend on the Bible. Because the Bible was a textbook in public schools. Listen to what Benjamin Rush said. Now, we, we love Benjamin Rush around here. He is a founding father. He is a signer of the Declaration, and he's considered by many to be the founder of American public schools. In contemplating this, this is what he said. In contemplating the political institutions of the United States, if we remove the Bible from schools, I lament that we waste so much time and money in punishing crimes and take so little pains to prevent them. His point is that if you have the Bible in schools, you're actually preventing crime because you're teaching kids morality. You're focusing on things like the Ten Commandments. You're focusing on the, the golden rule. You're focusing on morality. That's, that's, that's Benjamin Rush. And he said, I, I, you know, if we end up taking the Bible out, then we're going to be spending a lot of time and a lot of money punishing crimes when we could just prevent them, just keep the Bible in schools. The Bible was a, was a, a classroom textbook for decades. But in 1963, that Supreme Court said, um, you know what? No, uh -uh. the Bible, it's unconstitutional. Why? Oh, well, separation of church and state. Listen to what the court said specifically. If portions of the New Testament were read without explanation, they could be and had been psychologically harmful to the child. Yeah. If 
if we let the kids just read the Bible on their own, they're going to be psychologically harmed. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what they said. When, you know, we have, you know, so we're, we're currently in a place where, where we have parents going to school board meetings, opening up a library book and reading from that library book, a book that's in their elementary school's library. And the things that those parents are reading, the graphic sexual explanations that those parents are reading out of those books are causing them to get kicked out of the the board meetings. The school board members are having them kicked out. They are, and they're asking them to, to stop, stop. Please stop reading. That's inappropriate. You can't read that here. And the, and the parent reading it is, they're saying, wait a minute. I pulled this out of my child's library. They brought this home. You, you are making this available in my child's library. But when I try to read it here at this school board meeting, all of a sudden it's inappropriate. And this, this 1963 Supreme Court said, we can't have the Bible in schools because it will be psychologically harmful to the students if they read it. Okay, so th this is where we are. This is, we've, we've hit this place now that incrementally, and Jefferson warned about this, he said that the judiciary... They're gonna they're gonna take baby steps. It's gonna be like gravity. You're not gonna feel it, and you're not even gonna know it until you hit the ground. Well, we have hit the ground, and I feel like we're just continually hitting it. Boom, boom, boom. Just this constant smacking. So listen to this. We, I want to, I just want to just just take a minute here. We got a couple minutes before we have to hit a break. And I want to read to you just a sampling of cases over the years since 19, well, it's really since 1947, since we had this whole idea of evolutionary case precedent. Here is what is now unconstitutional. A citizen riding a public bus cannot give a fellow rider a book containing Bible stories. Yeah, because he's on a public bus. That was a case from 2006, Anderson v. Milwaukee County. Here's another one. A Bible school or church may not use the word seminary or issue biblical degrees unless the state first pre-approves the Bible courses, Bible teachers, and theological curriculum. That was from 2003. It is unconstitutional for an historic memorial, even to the fallen or slain, to contain a cross as part of its display, no matter how many previous decades the memorial had been standing. That was from a case in 1969, another case in 1993, 2005, and also 2013. A historical memorial to the fallen or to the slain. It was unconstitutional if it had a cross in it, even if it had been there for decades, maybe even over a century. Nope, can't have it. Uh-uh, we, we, that's unconstitutional. What, a cross? No, uh-uh. 
Here's another one. Oh, this one's a dandy. It is unconstitutional for the Ten Commandments to continue being displayed in a solitary setting at a public courthouse and government buildings. Despite the fact that the Ten Commandments are a basis of civil law in the Western world and, get this, are depicted in multiple locations throughout the United States Supreme Court. Aren't these guys just great? This was a case in 1993, a case in 2002, and then a case in 2012. Nope. You've got to take the Ten Commandments out of those, out of those, those public courthouses. Can't have them there. But yet they're, they're in the, the Supreme Court building. Here's another. It is even unconstitutional for a courtroom to display the Ten Commandments among a collection of other historic documents related to American law, such as the Magna Carta, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, and the Mayflower Compact. Oh, the Ten Commandments, they have to go. But they're, they're next to, to historical documents like the Magna Carta, the Declaration, the Bill of Rights. Nope, uh-uh, they are from the Bible, so guess what? Separation of church and state. You know, I'm surprised that they that they allow the Declaration of Independence in the in the courthouse anymore, because you know what? It refers to God four times. It does. The Declaration refers to God four times. I'm surprised that they allow the Mayflower Compact. Are you kidding me? A bunch of pilgrims, a bunch of religious pilgrims signing a document. We can't have that document. Separation of church and state. All right. We will pick it up on the other side. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Welcome back to the Dean's List. I am Dean Bowen. Our email is thedean.list at protonmail.com. Thedean.list at protonmail.com. You may reach us there, or you can follow us on Instagram, thedeanslist33. And that's where that's where we're at. 
So we are we're wrapping up this deep dive, five days worth of defending this bill, supporting this bill, this bill that Matt Gates has put forth. It's the Protect Prayer in Schools Act. So, Dean, are you saying you want prayer back in schools? Yes. Yeah, I am. That's that's exactly what I'm I'm saying. I don't think prayer should be prohibited. I think that Supreme Court in 1962, when they kicked it out, and that court in 1963, when they kicked out the Bible, uh, I, I I I feel like it has that that whole process from 47 to the 60s and beyond. You know, the foundation was laid in 47. They could start making changes then. Once they just laid that that groundwork, then the rest was just little by little. Let's just make little changes here, little changes there. You know, I was at the end of that last segment, I was reading some of the court cases, and they're just absurd that this this Supreme Court has said that a citizen riding a public bus cannot give a fellow writer a book containing Bible stories, that that public bus now represents the federal government. And Bible stories now represent a religion. I wonder if if it would have been different had it not been Bible stories, but something else, you know, maybe verses from the Quran, maybe verses from a Hindu text. Isn't it interesting that all of these court cases are really against Christianity? Isn't that the whole underlying theme here? Is that the attack isn't necessarily against religion being removed from the public square, but it's Christianity. Ultimately, it's an attack on Christianity. Oh, Dean, that's not so. No, it's 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 religion. It's just religion. Okay. Well, here's here's a court case from 1990. It is unconstitutional. This is Warsaw versus I can't pronounce that last name. I'm not even going to try. It is unconstitutional for a public cemetery to have a planter in the shape of a cross. For if someone were to view that cross, it could cause emotional distress and thus constitute an injury in fact. Okay, uh, the cross is, is, is part of what religion? Yeah, it's part of Christianity. And now this isn't about government establishing a church anymore, is it? No, it's, it's now got to the point that if you look at a cross, it could cause emotional distress. And that could constitute injury in fact. You could be injured, and therefore you could sue just because you looked at a cross. So somebody tell me this is not a full-on frontal attack against Christianity. It, it is. It, it absolutely, that, that's the bottom line. That's what it's become. So Matt Gates says uh, we really need to have prayer back in schools. And the opposition from the left is extreme. I mean, they're just going to go crazy. There is no way they can let prayer back in schools. And it's not because it's prayer. It's because it's Christianity. 
It's because the opposition is against Christianity. Christianity is the foundation of this country. I don't whether you like it or not. And you don't have to be a Christian. It is the foundation of this country. The I told you the stats the other day, 98% of the population, they were Protestant. They believed in, in the foundational truths of the Bible. The Constitution, you know, people will say it's not a religious document. We talked about that. But regardless, the principles in it are biblical principles. This whole idea of, of a balance of, of powers, this whole idea of a Republican form of government, yeah, it, it, it came from other writers, but its foundation comes from the Bible. Did you know there were some uh, college professors? I'm going to have to get this, this citation from you or, or for you. But there were some uh, professors who, who did research to determine who the founding fathers cited the most. Montesquieu was the most cited individual, and after him was John Locke. But the outside of one individual, the entity that they cited the most, I think Montesquieu was like 7 or 8%. But 34% of their citations actually came from the Bible directly. From the Bible directly. The foundation of our government can be found in the Bible. Christianity is the foundation. Well, are you saying that we need to, uh, that Christianity needs to be the religion? No, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you have to be a Christian. To, to, to be an American. That, that's not the point. Because this country was founded in freedom. Be whatever religion you want to be. Worship in whatever way you want to worship, as long as you're not harming somebody else, as long as you are not harming your neighbor. Because that's when the government can and should step in. But otherwise, let us worship the way that, that we feel we need to worship, because it's an unalienable right. It is a God-given right to worship in the way we see fit. It's not that case anymore. It is absolutely not that case. And I'm not saying that, that you have to be a Christian. I'm just saying, hey, let's go back to the Judeo-Christian values that we were rooted in. Why don't we go back to the morals that the founding fathers had? And that would start with allowing prayer back in our, in our public schools. So that, that prayer in the 62 case, and I've read it to you before. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm just going to paraphrase. The prayer asked uh, for uh, that they, the students were acknowledging God, and then they asked for his blessing upon themselves, upon their parents, upon their teachers, and upon the country. It was just that simple. That voluntary prayer, but this you know, particular parent, and there were others because it was, you know, several cases coming together. And they were upset that their students were, that, that they had to be, quote unquote, forced to participate, even though it was purely voluntary. And once that prayer was removed, kicked out, we just, we didn't have a, 
a, a true basis for morality at that point. The prayer is gone. You can't pray anymore. The Bible is gone. So where where is our moral compass? In the school system, it left us. And go to my Instagram page. You will see the receipts. You will see violent crime has increased by over 700%. The last that I know of that these stats were updated was in the late 90s. So, you know, how many years, you know, we're, we're 20 years removed from that, 25 years. But at that point in time, violent crime had gone up 700%. Other metrics just off the charts exploding through the roof. And the one metric that has dropped and tanked is the SAT scores just went into the basement. Isn't that interesting? There's something else I would like to read to you as we as we wrap this up. The Columbine tra tragedy was was really probably the first major school shooting, at least the first I can remember. But it, it, it was horrific. After that shooting, the Colorado State Board of Education uh, issued a, a statement, an open letter, so to speak. I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs from it because it's telling. Here's what they said. As we seek the why behind this infamous event, we must find answers beyond the easy and obvious. How weapons become used for outlaw purposes is assuredly a relevant issue. Yet our society's real problem is how human behavior sinks to utter and depraved indifference to the sanctity of life. As our country promotes academic literacy, we must promote moral literacy as well. Well, I haven't really touched on the sanctity of life very much, but I mean, you know what happened in 1970. Two seventy-three Roe v. Wade, um, and you know, really, we just as a country, we we almost just stopped caring about life. If if you can't care about the life of babies, you know, do you care? I'm going to continue with this letter. We must remember, respect, and unashamedly take pride in the fact that our schools, like our country, found their origin and draw their strength from the faith-based morality that is at the heart of our national character. Can you believe that? This school board is making this statement after this horrific shooting tragedy, and they're saying we have to go back to the basics. We have to go back to what our country was founded on. We have to go back to our origin and draw our strength from the faith-based morality that's at the heart of our national character. And it is. It's at the heart of our national character. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says, because this is a true statement. I'll keep reading. Today, our schools have become so fearful of affirming one religion or one value over another that they have banished them all. In doing so, they have abdicated their historic role in the moral formation of youth and thereby alienated themselves from our people's deep spiritual sensibilities. To leave this disconnection between society and its schools unaddressed is an open invitation to further divisiveness and decline.
I mean, this letter is prophetic. I mean, they're saying, look, if we don't address this, we're just going to, it's an open invitation to, to further decline. That's what they, that's exactly what they say. We're just going to keep going downhill unless we address this. You know, but what do our politicians want to do? They want to address the superficial issue. It's guns. We must take away the guns. Ban all the guns. You can lay the gun on the table and it's just going to sit there. But when an evil person picks it up, well, you get the point. And this, this state board of education is saying, look, we have to address this. We have to address the deeper issue here. Are we going to? Here's how they wrap it up. Perhaps across the ages, we can hear the timeless words of Abraham Lincoln and applying them to our own circumstance, renew his pledge, quote, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. With history as our judge, let us go forward together with a strong and active faith. That's, that's how the school board ends it. With history as our judge, let us go forward together with a strong and active faith. Let's reintroduce morality into the classroom. Let's go back to the to the Judeo-Christian values that our that our founding fathers wanted us to have. I mean, let's, you know, Lincoln said that we're a nation under God and we should have a new birth of freedom. And this this State Board of Education, after this horrible tragedy, is saying, let's let's take his words to heart. Let's um let history be our judge and let's move forward with a strong and active faith. And it, as a country, we haven't done that. We have continued almost to do the opposite. And we, of course, continue to have school shootings. We continue to have horrific tragedies. But we're not really dealing with the true issue. We're not dealing with the heart of the matter. And that's that's what Matt Gates bill. That's what it's all about. It's let's let's protect prayer. Let's end this prohibition and let's let it come back into the schools. Because it will usher in some other things. Absolutely. It will it will creak the door back open and, and maybe we can let morality back in. Maybe we can let goodness back in. Maybe we can start teaching things that are true instead of teaching children that, oh, if you feel a certain way, you might be a boy and we probably should start transitioning you. But don't tell your mom and dad. Uh-uh, you can't tell them. I'm telling you right now, that is an epidemic that is sweeping the public schools in this country. It is an absolute epi epidemic. And Matt Gates is offering a potential solution. And I keep saying this, it's, it's not a quick fix. It's not going to change things overnight. But it would absolutely open the door for morality to come back in, for truth, for goodness, for beauty, for these, for good things to be taught, good, true things. You know, as a parent, don't you want to feel safe and confident that when you when you send your child off to school, that they are going to a safe place, that they're going to learn, 
and they're going to learn things that is truly going to make them a smarter human being and a better human being. And they're going to be they're going to be safe and secure while doing it. That's what, as a parent, that's what we want. And how many of you feel that way while your child goes off to a public school? Yeah, I, I would imagine it's not a lot of you. You probably don't. And 90%, I saw this stat the other day, 90% of the children in this country are in a public school. 90%. Think of how high that must have been before 2020 because we have been going through a mass exodus in the public schools post-2020. But, you know, right now we're at 90%. That's a lot. Well, um, I think Matt Gates is on to something, and that's why we spent so much time supporting it. And I'm grateful if you stuck it out with me. I'm grateful that you did. You may have to go back, you know, go back and find the shows and podcasts. Again, if you're geeky like I am and you like this sort of historical stuff, you know, go back. Study it on your own. I encourage you. Don't just take my word for it. You know, get into the get into the books, get into the, you know, go to founders.archive.gov. You know, find some books that David Barton has written, that that William Federer has written. These guys are gems. But I'm grateful that that you stuck it out with me. All right, America, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, I'm grateful that you joined me. Invite your friends and family to get on the Dean's List. Let's unite to renovate the age.